The Things We All Carry is a podcast about first responders and their stories surrounding trauma on the job. The intention of this podcast is to raise awareness and share meaningful conversation around a subject often viewed as taboo or simply ignored. Be aware this content may be graphic and it is real. It may not be suitable for children or adults triggered by this subject matter. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Things We All Carry. Today's episode is a deviation from the norm, as it started out as an interview, intended to be just that, an interview. But halfway through the interview, I realized that this material was too good not to share. Adam was a fire service mentor and a former coworker and someone I've respected my entire career. He had a 20 plus year career that ended prematurely. The day I sat down to talk to him, I hit record before the interview and halfway through I realized Audio bumped and all, this was an episode. Today is part one of a two-part episode. Part two will be released tomorrow, and it will be a conversation between Adam, Jess from episode five, and myself. A quick reminder to please help us build a community which not only recognizes, but supports each other through the struggles and recovery. Reach out through Instagram at the things we all carry or email my story at the things we all carry.com to offer support and share your story. Please remember to leave a review on iTunes and give a shout out to any first responder you know, love, or care about. Y'all enjoy the show. It's a leather bound box. And some of it's funny, some of it's just profound or just an idea. And I only did that because I bought weird this fair and this woman made a journal super heavyweight, non-wine, like old school paper. And it's the best pen right in there. And that's what I bought. It inspired me. I'm like, it's got a little piece of wood that helps latch. And I'm like, this is just a really cool looking thing. And I want it just to look cool because that's what I do. And of course, but it's Nat- actually kind naturally. of, I don't know it, but it's cool because it does every once in a while. And I'll have these ideas and I'll just sit and just write or whatever. So I'm like, okay, let's do this. Yeah, I started writing and the therapist like, yo, get a journal and write everything down. I was like, right, I'll try it. And I don't like writing in a journal. I That's why I do the online blog. It just makes more sense to me. Oh, I got you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so I write, but then I share it with everybody. And then everybody's, oh, this guy's kind of fucked up. So <laughs> whatever. It's all goes, man. And people could hear what goes on in my head. They'd be like, Jesus. Oh, yeah. It's the stuff that I write down is not anything near what I'm, is in my head. But, yeah, it's a good inkling of what's going on up there. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Keep, I keep the good stuff to myself. Let's put it that way. I know. It's the best party, man, is what's in my head. Yeah. All right. How do you want to do this? What, how do you want to tell your story? For me, I mean, it, I don't know how much detail you want to go on now if you're just going to take in some personal lives. We'll just hit the, uh, the basics. And then when we record, we can get into more specifics. Yeah, so how things work for me, man. I don't have an exciting childhood in the sense of anything was wrong. So that's funny there in the sense of like, you're talking typical parents, older brother, older sister household. We were never a tight knit family in the sense of my brother's eight years older than I was. So we were raised independent in a good way though. Our parents allowed us to do our thing. You want to take play that sport, try it. You want to go there and be out on your bike all day. So I grew up in just a typical loving five household. Mom and dad, some collars, solar proof also. Nothing special. Nobody drank in the house, really. Just none of that stuff. Especially as I got older, like, yeah, I just had back for drinks since your wedding. Whatever. My brother is older than I am and partied. We ended up partying much later in life together. He's a musician, kept himself. Always got old, but never hung out. Because eight years, you're 10, he's 18. Yeah. 
My sister's two years older. She's the brain. Yeah, she can have one bigger stroke. So my brother was a partier. I was a partier. So got involved in the fire service at age 14. Now, prior to that, in my volunteer department, Tommy, his, he moved in later across the street from me, but his grandpa was across the street from us forever the whole, my whole life. So, and it was like a father figure, a grandfather figure. My dad didn't have a dad. So like, I saw him all the time and he was a cool guy, but he belonged to a volunteer department. My cousin joined. So me and Tommy were going to this grandfather, even younger than at age 14, both joined. So right away, 14 years old, volunteer fire department, doing the training. Medical training, getting New York State certifications, going to the smokehouse. It's the first time. You know, Airpac got in gear. It's 1993. Now I'm in it with that generation of folks teaching you how to fight fire and all that stuff. I often wonder if some of my things, as it relates to public safety or where I ended up in life, what came first, the, the chicken or the egg? And I say that of what came first, the presets that I call them up in my brain, whether traumas or personality types, what came first out of the fire service? I honestly think. I was in it so early on with the fire service through a lot of formidable years that 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 environment, I guess you want to call it, is really what shapes probably what shaped me because that's what I was around a lot. I was hooked. By the time I turned 18, ran my first fire and I was I skipped college. I was trying to do college later in life. I missed exams because I was at a warehouse fire. Like it's just, I was hooked. I knew what I was gonna do. So the other side of that is I was in clogging since age nine traveling around without my family. Now my dad was involved with it to a degree, the local group, but like I was heading out of town with two friends of mine. Sounds creepy useful. It ended up being a family friend, but by 10, maybe almost 11, I'm, again, there's that dependence. There's 50 bucks for the weekend and I'm out traveling and had a lot of freedom there because like I did this thing and we were just running around in this hotel with a bunch of people from all different states. And again, that was a party atmosphere too. So it, that's the only thing I've done longer than the fire service in my entire life. It's, it's, it's clogging by a few years. So those are my two major things. I played some sports, wrestled soccer, gymnastics, played the drums. The only two things that ever really stuck that was a thing was this clogging stuff because I saw 25 girls on the stage and I was going to be one or two dudes in that group. And <laughs> I'm not a math magician, but I know numbers. Yeah, I'm like that one's I pretty like easy girls. to figure out. <laughs> I like girls. They jumped into there and there's, that's an interesting dichotomy because that was a lot of female influence in my life, as you will, but probably a lot of the sexual stuff going because early on, nine years old, it's like they jumped, they're down to a bra, changing the shirt or work on periods. I'm traveling with these girls, like shit happens in life. It's just interesting that for as much as that was separate from the fire service, there was a level of, it provided an opportunity and I think shaped me. And again, some of those other say addictions or triggers or these presets in my brain. So. I can look back at that stuff. That was for me growing up. I, my dad was pretty stern, had the heavy hand, but also had me there holding a wrench and flashlight and saw him. He was an only child, never had a dad. So he raised us the best he knew how to raise up kids. And we never needed anything. We had what we wanted, what we needed in life. Mom was awesome. Mom was my best friend. She was the one, like, she'd want to hide shit from dad too. Like, I want to listen to him scream and yell about it. So dad could fly off handle pretty quick. There's that temperament issue there of a lot of overreacting or holy crap everything's a big deal and that may be one of those little presets too that i pick up from him i look at where i'm like wow it's probably an overreaction there because that's what we grew up with but that's the world for me probably one of my bigger things when i look and think specific into public safety or anything like that and we talk trauma whether it's pts or ptsd if that's what people refer to it as gone to therapy was never diagnosed with it 
oddly enough, I don't have many things from my time in public safety. Now you're talking by 18, I was running calls. I finished up in Princeton County when I was 41, I think. It was a pretty good career running 911 calls. I had a nursing degree. I worked in a trauma center for a little while and I lived in Buffalo Trauma Center. So I was around trauma right out of the gate in that aspect as it relates to public safety. I really never suffered personal trauma. All the grandparents died young. It was never a big deal to me. Anyone that close, I was an altar server. Get that. I was going to be a Pope, by the way. Dad, I got that has to make a podcast. The guys love that. I was going to be the Pope. I had a picture of him in my room. It's, yeah, that's, 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 that's hard to fathom. It, oh, yeah, where the that would go off the tracks. Yeah, I was an altar server. I always did the funerals because I'd make a couple bucks and it just didn't right. need to be around that stuff. Probably the first time I was rattled, maybe with the 911 call, was my neighbor across the street, Mr. Chuck. He was older and had medical problems. And I remember I was in the shower and that call went out. My page went off. I jumped out of the shower, ran across the street. This went up and seen with him. He had a lot of medical stuff. And to me, details, that's Tommy. And they, Tommy happened to be home sleeping off his work shift the night before from the ambulance and never woke up, never heard the call of St. Cox. That was his hero. And if he would have saw him in that state, I think. And it's, I just remember getting him, man, he was asking me, am I going to be okay? And we all knew the answer. And long story short, that was weird for me waiting for crew to respond and medic and all this other stuff. And that was a tough time. It's somebody I looked up to. He was one of those formidable people in my life that I looked up to. And I'm like, oh God, it's running around my cage a little bit. It was 4th of July weekend, years, this was late 90s, I think, maybe early 2000s, I'd have to look. Then he died, and then I was there as his wife showed up, and here I am, I'm a young dude, dude, I'm in my 20s, partying my ass off in life, and she comes in, and I was the first one to meet her out and be like, Mrs. Hey, he died. And the thing about volunteering where I was is you, tip, you had to live where you volunteered. I know, it's weird concept. Couldn't be six states away. Funny story on that, getting kicked out. I lived in a house that was one step of the driveway over the county line. That's what I mean, it's a whole long story. It's funny. But anyways, you often would run people, you'd run your neighbors. Small town, we only about 10,000 people in the first year that you grew up in. So that kind of prepared you for running stuff that, in a way, you go to a big department someplace where you didn't grow up or where you don't even live, where you work. I got running people. This is different. I'm running a guy across the street that I looked up to. That's probably one of the first ones I, that I ever thought, oh, that sucks. But didn't keep me up at night. Didn't. So as it relates to like the calls, this is where things may get a little wonky here, China, because there's nothing that anybody's put on paper. That's that professional or Adam's not a psychologist. But the calls typically aren't the things too much that get my brain somewhat rattled or that I really struggle with. Now, it may be deep down, but I'm not, now there's plenty of calls that things will trigger. There's certain smells. There's a certain smell outside that triggers me to the guy that got caught up in, underneath a, a bush hog and had been there for over an hour, 95 degrees, saw out the field and got there. I'm like, oh yeah, that's bad. And that story gets gruesome, but like that's a couple of babies that I've coded hold my hands that were cracking. There's very certain small of that. There's Certain smell of a couple burned bodies throughout the career. There's certain things. It's funny, it smells very often, right? but there's nothing at night that pops up like, oh, I see their face, or I just can't stop thinking that call. So, in that sense of PTS, as it relates specifically to calls, I don't believe it's ever my story. But what I do think is interesting is what came first, the chip interview. I have a very destructive personality. I'm not sure I valued my well being. Honestly, life to where maybe other people do when it comes to risk or concern about their health or their own 
discord or the relationships around them. And what I mean by that is that's a very good, I don't know if that's very good for the job, but that mindset for me is why I was always able to really separate what happens on calls from, I guess, maybe it didn't bother me. In fact, the more gruesome, the better for me. And I think this is where things, that's my brain was wired. And I'm not saying it's wired correctly, but for me, it was good for the job. The calls didn't bother me. The crazier the call was, the more calm I could get, the more gruesome, the more I wanted it. And in fact, I think, and this will all boil into ego. I think it was more of the rest of you don't need to see this. And I did that. I'm suicides or whatever. I'm like, you guys are good if I was false. I'm like, you don't, people don't need to be in here. It's fine. One is respect out of Christ. But the other thing was, I'm like, I got it. You probably don't want to see that. It's in my brain. I'm good. Kids, calls with kids never bothered me. I never had kids. So hand me that over. And there's some nasty ones that I could think of, both traumatic. There's none hanging in Venetian blinds and drowning stuff. Up in the backseat of a car, I didn't realize that was a kid. That's how bad it was. That stuff to me was always the job. That's the business. That's what I'm here to do. And in fact, my ego thought the more that I saw, the cooler I was and the better fireman I was. Oh, you've probably seen some stuff. Yeah, dude. And I'm not saying I had a very busy career. I ran a lot of fire and I've seen a lot of stuff in my entire life between trauma centers, working. I was I just sometimes people, I was a man. And that's fine. And I prided myself on that. The fact that it didn't bother me, prided myself on it. Problem is, however, my brain was wired to that, not saying it's a health wire. My wife revolved around, oh, I go to work, I want to do this. I want to see the grossest thing. I want to see the worst thing. I want to have the craziest fire. If there's 10 people in there, so be it. That's how my brain is wired. I'm not saying that's good. That's how it was wired. And there's something destructive about that. Because that's probably just not healthy to honestly get yourself up with that, that way of living of always wanting the worst to happen. And then I want to be there. And if it's going to happen, why is it happen when I'm working? I don't know where that came from. I don't know if I was just wired that way from birth. If such an early introduction to the fire service, it just went that direction. I really don't. I think it was a good tool of a toolbox for the job specific for the job because like i said calls didn't bother me very rarely could have rattled me i could lock in do the job and leave it there now problem is what i had to learn in life that took therapy was a bust my ego was a defeat one tool in the toolbox did not work for everything so now that comes to your personal life that does not work for relationships where you can just be like or you know what i'm saying i can't handle adversity the same way my brain is forward for work. My brain is always 50 steps ahead on the job. Almost knew the outcome. And if not, I probably had three other outcomes in my brain and I was ready playing for those. It's a blessing and a curse. I'm not seeing on some sort of special amount. Like it worked for the job because I just, it's my brain was, was high, it was ahead. It's not good at home. Self-fulfilling prophecies is what it turns into in a personal life. Now you look at a fire and if I say, I know where this is going, it, it goes here, there, we do this, I'll screw it, this wreck, that didn't take. But at home, whether it's a relationship or anything like that, we'll go, I mean, it's a problem, go see a doctor. I know where that, I know where that goes. I'm not good. Oh, she, she didn't call today. That means she's out doing this with somebody else. That tool in the toolbox, that wiring of my brain, 
was like this destructive lifestyle. It's just, it was a badge of honor. If the more shit I saw, the more things I saw, the more crazy my personal life got. I just expected that's how it was supposed to be. And I was okay with it. That's why I said, or where that come from prior the early production of fire service. And I thought this would make me good at my job. So for me, I never concerned myself with mental health or concerned myself. Now, we, there's a few of these things. Anxiety would run rampant through me in a lot of personal instances, whether it's relationships, especially after I got divorced, states, people like that. Is, but it was a lot of anxiety there. Always seeking ahead of things for finances, right? The way my mind worked at work was really good for the running the calls, but that's what ran my personal life. And that leads to a lot of anxiety. I think it also led to me not doing things that I believe were going to be a difficult challenge. That's where ego gets in. I typically don't fail at things, but do I do things that I have the potential to fail at? I didn't realize it so much later in life, whether it was why me go, I didn't take promotion, maybe why I didn't do this, do that. Anything I did, I was good at it. Bottom line, that's an ego from a little version maybe to that, which is oddly enough, the little version of maybe a risk because I was worried about how to make me look. These are kind of these things that you start to unwind down the road that I'm like, okay, I was wired good for one thing, but all the other stuff around me. The other flip side of that is, is I was involved heavily in the fire service with all the non-operational stuff. Love to teach, was involved with the locals. And a lot of it, you felt like dog ears because some of it, you just kept banging your head against them. And those five years felt like 10 years and 10 years felt like 15 years. Cause sometimes there just wasn't anything moving forward. And it was infuriating because I could not, I'm a results driven person. A plus B equals C. Pretty straightforward guys. And we're, we're the, a lot of times, I'm not saying it's just from that department, but there's a lot of things that I feel like this, you look at the world around us right now, it's chaos, but you just can't help to think that I don't like to complicate things to a degree. And I think that was the frustration of me was this is way overthought or it is that simple. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't have a degree in anything. College was never for me. Schooling was never my thing. And things would sit or became so difficult, just got caught up in the mud and I'm like, this is ridiculous. And that stuff drove crazy. And yet I never got away from it. Just kept churning it. And I let it, and that's the work stuff, the personnel type things, the inconsistencies, the lack of a common sense approach to a lot of things. The folks that you're involved with, you know, I am only one page grade up from an entry level firefighter yet I'm appointed to different committees throughout my career where it's direct access to the chief kind of a unique situation but yet while you're still not smart enough to know better those are those things i also use that position sometimes to fight on behalf of other folks that i knew at some point would probably get a little blowback on myself and i didn't care if that's not necessarily being destructive but i wasn't worried always about that politically correct game if that's what you want to do to me, I'll take the hit for someone else. And I did that a couple of times. Sometimes it worked out. Other times it didn't work out slow to me. I was okay with loaded up my shoulders. I got you. There's a balance to that. And that goes back to you, that little bit of a destructive of I'm the sacrificial land. I'll take it. Not as a pushover, but that was an ego thing. And not always. A lot of it was just out of the my heart. I knew better. Or no, they're fucking you over. Listen, I'm telling you, Eddie, right? I don't want to push it top. You know what? I'll push it. 
I'll push it. I don't care. We'll push it. It needs to be pushed. Some of it's ego. Some of it was she had to get into my heart principle, whatever you want to call it. It's, it's one of the things. And I always say that the destructive personality of give a shit. Well, this thing out. One of the things that I never paid much attention to was the drinking. Now I started young and again, it wasn't really within the family. It wasn't a thing that I was around, but I could tell you from one of the first times I drank on well, 13, 14, if I all helped, I used to get the drink. Those guys there and traveling, like I said, clogging stuff. I'm right out of the gate and I'm drunk, punching my best friend, black eyes, one night cops are involved and I'm puking and still wanting to go all night or only 14 years old, drunk. And I'm trying to have some girl's shirt on and stuck in a beer box in a hotel. Like it was like that from day one. And I did that up until 20, 2020 is I drank like that, always at parties. The minute I started, there was no stopping. And it was like that from the very first day. And I think because ultimately one, the fire service is pretty cool with people drinking. That was part of it. <laughs> so I had that culture going for me. And two, I didn't realize that there, that there was a problem. I didn't know that my drinking was problematic. I just thought I was really good at it. Didn't have to wake up and have a drink every day, but I got to tell you, I drank a lot. And when I did drink, it was a whole lot to the point where there's just nights just black. I could go on for stories of driving, lost, keep finding my way, still function the entire night, blacked out for hours at a time. That's how I drank. And that started from day one. And I don't know, I, I still try to unwind that of... Was it ever for coping? I, I think an alcoholic mind is an alcoholic mind. What gets you there? We can go into science of hereditary or not, but I don't know. I never had anything that said I needed to. Some people said I did it because it lacks me or I'm a comfortable guy around people. I'm a chameleon. You give me a microphone, look out. I can do that drunk or silver. So I never had this. I think what it did was help feed this ego of mine. Sometimes I had this little holier than thou thing. I thought I was God's gift to every woman. Like I would save every woman out there. No matter who you were dating, they probably weren't good enough. You probably needed me, your wife to help. And if you're going to talk to me and I'm the only guy I need to be talking to type thing, like I'd be so jealous. I'm drunk at a bar talking to some random girl and then just talking to someone else and I'm like jealous. It's crazy. So a lot of it was ego fed, but there was just that natural reaction in my body. If a drink hit me, I was already looking for the next one. I thought it was crazy if you left one empty. And you don't stop until I guess just get past out or run out of the drink. I drink that way my whole life. Like any disease, it's progressive. And it was my last couple of years to drive. The incidents were getting worse. The depression was real bad. So by 2018, 17, somewhere in there, I don't know, 2016, I'd been divorced. A girl I dated, we married in every year. She moved for me. We were together 16 years. No. Doused that the drinking and all the collateral damage that goes with it was most certainly to divorce. She's she's borderline saint. And you meet from the fire service from day one. And the fire service and the people in it always came first in my life over family, over marriage, over my own health, over my own well being. All of that culture to me was the greatest thing in the world. It always came first. Bottom line, she even said that to you before she said, I know I'm second to that stuff. That's not healthy. And I thought, again, I thought that was cool. It's like my ego. I go to work and I'm like, yeah, dude, I'm fucking. I'm running circles around you on the fire ground. And I'm the guy that's checking drinks, parties, can pull side, side pieces. Infidelity was just normal for me getting in trouble. I'm stealing here and there and you're drunk or 
of getting drunk driving for me, unfortunately, was from day one. After gave it consideration, pride in myself and being good at it. I did that since the day I had my license at 16. So that's not healthy for a relationship. It always freaked my mom out. Matt and the job always freaked my mom out. And because my mom knew everything, I told her so much. We were very close. That's something I wish I could get back. I wish I knew those years and all that stuff, how it weighed on her. Oh, those are the things for me. Guilt is there because drinking, I had absolutely no. Just anything goes, anything, and it's nothing I would ever do sober. And there always was buyer's remorse. If I was that guilt of certain things, some of I still carry, some of I've been able to work through. But for me, it was, dude, that's you. That's your personality. That's your persona. Maybe now as you get older, you're trying to stay relevant in fire service. I'm like, wow, well, I'll destroy myself running circles around in the fire ground. And then we'll go out in you, guy. You're 23. Let's go, Jack. And I buried you drinking and got the girl you were hitting on. And for me, after a while, I was like, oh, that was a persona. That was something for, I want them to look up to me and I want these guys to say, man, he's, he's like that little school partner where he just doesn't give a shit, pull that home and do, do whatever on the job. That's all fed by ego and probably some insecurities. Like I said, I'm not going to take promotions. I'm that guy. I'm the guy that sits in the back, which I did enjoy. I was, but what if I didn't, what if I didn't score? What if this legend didn't score? So there's this, I already knew how that was going to go. So for a guy that was getting care and pretty destructive, I also would stay away from things that I thought could be your potential failure because I was afraid how it would look. So I'm going to take a tennis test. I had a lot of good reasons not to, but some of that's fear or what have you. So it's interesting how there's that kind of dichot- dichotomy there of don't give a shit yet. There is a big enough ego. And that you're trying to pull this persona and everything looked really good, really good. And now you get into 2015, 16, I'm forced I have a house. I broke up with another girl who's living with me. Everything looked fine. This car, awesome house. I made bank, fire department. Never I should have ever made this a high school kid making stupid money. And uh, everything was fire department related. And I worked my ass off. I overtime, do whatever. Well, busy on and off the job. With fire from stuff, I was uh, some relationships in between there after divorce. This relationships are destructive. The drinking is what it is. Now, now, or for the first time that I've ever known, here I am, late thirties, into my full, early forties, and I'm depressed. Now I'm depressed in a pretty dark place. Actually, it started back in before the house because I met the one girl and things were okay for a while. Back then, I'll tell you, there was times where I called a buddy of mine and said, you need to come get the guns out of my house. They're in that kind of place. Never thought I'd be there. Always had my opinions on people that had depression or anxiety. Here it was. There's some days couldn't breathe. For me. It was personal stuff. There's always stressors at work. Oddly enough, it's not the calls. It was this transfer coming up, got in a pinch, got in trouble because I was drunk and got in trouble off the job. Holy shit, am I losing my job? A couple of those things. But... Well, stressors, it was always all the things that surrounded the calls, not the calls themselves. So I battled this depression and this anxiety stuff for a bit. Never did anything with it. Now, do a couple times of drinking, get in trouble here, going through. One time she packed up and I was still married. And that was pretty traumatic. And uh, due to some other instances, I put together almost two years of waking up full head. It wasn't drinking and was back to just drink beer. Ended up in the hospital from might have been drinking. She had packed up and moved out for a couple months. We patched things up. And once or twice, I'd go to the therapist 
and then lie my ass off to it. Because really, I, didn't, I was trying to do it to a piece, whether it was work or people, as it related to something that would happen off the job, as it relates to just, was like to them. So now I'm in depression work, 2016, 17, somewhere in there. And these look okay, probably from the outside. And it's Adams and here's this guy that, and I was struggling hard. Oddly enough, um, the drinking was the drinking. I'm still just pounding it. I'm with people. I could sit alone because I lived alone. I could sit at home. I could go out. I'd go out all the time. So I love to meet people at bars. I truly enjoy being at bars. You could be somebody and not have to tell the truth. So I could, I could be an astronaut when I was out drinking, right? <laughs> Sometimes I was a garbage man. So I really wanted to impress him. I'd tell him what I actually did for a living. But how amount of shit you talk and all the stuff, drunk all the time. People would stay for an hour. I'm there for six. So that's going on depression. Now my mornings after nights drinking are getting worse. Worse. There's a lot of crazy stuff happening. With that, and I'm there again. I'm like, this is just bad. And oddly enough, I met somebody, a firefighter from out west. And I met them at a convention. This person had a background in, in military and fire service. So it was a week of this convention out west. And talked for a little while with this person afterwards, but they had stuff for military, fire department, personal things. It was almost like meeting. I'm like, holy crap. And we're like the same soul. We are, we're messed up. And the long and short of it was what it turned into is, okay, probably not the best to be the occasion, just for our personal lives, just. We had made a promise that you'll see somebody not lie to them and I'll see somebody not lie to them. I'll truly do this therapy thing. We made a pact. And I did that. And I happened to found somebody in the counties by chance who had a background in military and stuff. And I always said that Dr. First name is Valerie. I always say that she had saved my life from the aspect of let's work through the depression. Let's unwind some things. Let's. She never told me what I had to do. She never said, you got to stop doing this or stop doing this. She got my brain to move in a direction that became my idea. So she might, she Jedi mind tricked me because if it's Adam's idea, it's got to be a great idea. It was good. And once I realized that, I thought, okay. So I credit her with getting me to work through that stuff. Now I really felt, I didn't want a lot of things from maybe why I did certain things, whether it's relationships, why I felt that way with women. I was the first person that crushed my ego. She crushed it. I'm so grateful for that. So, guy, you're not as important as you think you are, especially as it relates to your ex women and stuff. I'm like, damn, doc. And thank God it helps save my life. So, you know, I ended past that and even tried dating the ex wife for another year long distance and it didn't work. And now I was drinking because I was happy again. Didn't matter. I was drinking alcoholically. I just had a good excuse for drinking instead of a sad one. But my brain wasn't waking up bad to where I didn't want to wake up anymore. But man, dumb shit's still happening. Work is work. Still just drudging through there. We switch schedules. One of my endeavors to try to help fight the fight for somebody that didn't want to fight it. Pretty sure it came back and bit me. New schedule I got. Just transferred out of the bully made sense. Somewhere on the other end of the world that they knew was going to crush my soul. And they got back at me and I knew that's what it was about for a fact. So now I'm back to like this. Now I just don't like the job. Because I don't like... I don't like the people. I don't like the place. I don't like how I got there. And uh, now I'm back. So, and that's interesting about that place. There's a lot of ups and downs. It's always a roller coaster, man. You can have a great year and a half with these people, and it'll change. And I think it's unique then into a lot of other places. You can go from this is the greatest place on earth. I love this place to it's the best job in the world. I don't care what happens to, oh my God, I could leave tomorrow.
I hate it. I hate it. That's I can do that. And it's all right. <laughs> but I tell you, that doesn't help no. with anybody's well-being. And you know that. The hours are bad enough. The job can be bad enough. There's so many other factors. And then now, it's like not having a stable home. You, you hear it all the time. People like, I grew up in a stable house. Or, um, and six different boyfriends in all the house. And I was a kid growing up. I never had that good at that's what's amazing. You just feel like, I don't have a very stable home on the job because that's home for 56 hours a week at, at one point. That's actually the perfect way to describe it. The, you know, the, an unstable home. Yeah. So it can turn into, right? You're always like, God, there's no stability around here. The only stable thing was the paycheck. And they just thought if you keep throwing more money at people, it makes everything better. Well, money doesn't make, money doesn't buy you happiness or sanity. But good health insurance can keep you sane if you got a good therapist. And I know, and I'm really ripping through without tons diving into stuff. But I think for me, now we get into pandemic timeframe and we get into March of 2020. And uh, I hadn't been home in a bit just because of traveling back to my family in Buffalo was tough. I, honestly, it was still me putting job and my personal selfishness. I never got there. Not that turns into a guilt that I still haven't quite gotten through. And, and then the pain of a kid, of course, in New York, you travel there. So I didn't. It was convenient slash the truth. I'm like, I don't know. I hear people saying they're at the border, like not letting you come in. Like I'm not risking New York being it pain in my ass because I'm not vaccinated and I'm not testing to go. I didn't visit. Well, now we get to March 2020, see Patty's Day. And doing what I always do, we get off that morning. I light it up. I've already gotten beer at Lucky Charms by six in the morning. And by nine o'clock at night, and I was already Ubered two places. I'm, I'm standing at Buddy's house up in about half an hour, about 20 minutes from my place. Again, like a true alcoholic, there is no stopping. My night doesn't end. And at some point, I just I got grabbed. I, I don't think that's the time. I don't remember doing this. I don't remember any of it. And I left there. Or I was standing. You know, I moved back to that house. And I was supposed to be staying there. And a couple people are up. And I just left. Had my truck keys. Left. And didn't drive home. And I don't remember any of it. I don't remember the ride. I don't remember any of it. I just remember somebody tapping on my window. And I, like, rolled down. I come to. No idea how long. And they're like, dude, you okay? And I'm like, why? And they're like, you're... Oh, I ran off the road. You had a tree. I'm like, I'll just back out of here. And I was in the country at that point. And they're like, dude, you ain't backing out of here. And I just realized, I'm like, holy shit. I have no idea how I've been here. I, this isn't good. And then I get out of the truck and I, you get sober real quick. And I'm like, wow, this isn't good. I'm off the road. I ate a tree. Chuck's total. I'm fine. Start to piece it together of just the fact that nobody else is involved. Nope. Well, now I call the buddies. You guys need to get here. They're yanked me out. We need to be done. Like, here comes the good idea. Seriously, you're drunk. Time to make this okay. I knew in my heart of heart that was, I called a jackpot. And then the crew that shows up in a fire truck. And then you recognize a couple of the cops because it's the county at work and you just know it's not good. And, uh, but you know what? That night played out the way it needed to play out. I was a nasty as DUI, no denying it. Go get locked up for a couple of hours and. During COVID, they, were, they treated me well there, and uh, they were nice enough to let me go well before even close to sober to, to somebody that showed up to come pick me up. It's just these pregnant wife that I was drinking with earlier, two thirty in the morning. So even then, I still didn't have to do the full boat. You're here to your sober. And it took me two days, and that's the St. Patty's Day that the twenty twenty is the last drink I ever had, and that stuck journey in sobriety. I'm still in the program of recovery that and inevitably that that cost me a however you want to call it, a retirement 
or something that I've done since I was 14, not the way I thought it was an app in our department. Right or wrong, and I don't, I truly have worked hard and not hold resentments. Nobody else went out and did that. I did. There's a level of responsibility I have to accept there because a lot of my buddies, you know, are mad. Damn cop didn't let you know. Like, you let me go. I, I blew a tooth three. Like, that's pretty drunk to be driving. And I parked my truck in a tree. I don't know what about that anybody else is doing anything wrong but me. You know, people got mad at the higher ups in the department. It turned into this investigation. I was like, what you guys are investigating? Soft work. I'll go to court. We'll see where it lands. I really don't want to tell you. But in the long run, it was, I, I have mixed feelings on it. I, and, and it's not just me, because I know there's been other people since me. There's a lot of people prior. We never really found a good way to deal with it in the department. We used to use the EMT card, can't operate an EMS license vehicle and all this other stuff. It was really easy out to get rid of people. May have had some sort of substance abuse problems and addictions. There is a limitation, but I, I do think that there's a level of, are, are we really doing everything we can to try to keep people on the right path to getting help? Because now I'm done. I lose my health care. lose my money. That stopped my therapy sessions. The flip side of it, it gave me a lot of time to figure out how sobriety works. And I really have all the time in the world. Now it's there a pandemic and some things popped up on Zoom that were good. And then I found in-person means and stuff. But in that time frame, all I had to do is focus on sobriety and figure out what my next play was. Court took forever. I got convicted of a lower sentencing exactly one, actually one day shy of a month to the date of the incident. I had to already sign, which was a hard thing to do. Oddly enough, for what it's worth, it was April 16th was my meeting date. If anybody knows what April 16th is in our department, happens to be the death of Kyle Wills. And when I taught his recruit school. Not really a date. That's what I wanted. I remember the day, but I was still in there to get the old, hey, I don't know how your court's going to turn out, but here's what I think you should do. And I'm like, wow, okay. And I remember I asked myself, my resignation letter is going to say April 17th. I'm not dating in April 16th. I'll never forget that. Again, to the end. There I was, right to the end, out of principle. No, this is the death of your brother. That's his day. It's not my resignation day. So technically, April 17th, almost exactly one day in a month. That was it. Career started at the age of 14, 20-some-odd years later ended, and it was a destructive lifestyle. And ignoring an issue that I had really cost me just the job. And I say just the job because I should have died. Other people should have died. I had a couple instances prior to that. And they say it's progressive, and it was true. I used to, I had a couple instances with my truck and driving, drinking and stuff, and I don't call it luck that I made it that long. It was a matter of time that I made it 20 some odd years, 20 years of driving longer than that, drinking was a matter of time. The reason why I'm alive and nothing ever happened to other people because of my actions is it's however you want to believe in things. It's a blessing. It's supposed to happen for a reason. Luck is me winning a freaking lottery, right? That's luck. I only believe in luck if it's my scratch off the end. pure luck. This was somebody has a different plan for me or something. I was meant to be alive and that was, that was it. That was the last one. That was a turning point of, here's a crazy part of it all. I had a sense of relief. The night it happened, I knew I finally had an excuse to get sober, right? Like the jig is up. You don't have to keep this persona anymore. Like. You just got busted. So this is what people are going to expect. What are you going to do about it? I was actually relieved. Like I was relieved. I had a really good reason on why I shouldn't drink anymore. It all came to a head. It's probably desperation was meeting necessity at that point. I'm tired. I was tired of drinking. I was tired of feeling like shit. I was tired of 
the collateral damaged for years. I was tired of what was doing to my brain. I was tired. I was tired. I was tired of it. As far as it played out with the department, I don't hold resentments. I, I think chief of the department made a decision and we always ask, make a decision and stick with it. Now is it a decision? And maybe that's how it was supposed to play out in the best thing for me. I guess you don't know that the book is completely written and you've turned the last page, last chapter, if that's how it all plays out. But there was a little sense of relief of it because like this pandemic time, things are crazy there. I, I, I had some resentment, but I let go of that pretty quick. Resentment towards the department? Overall, everything. The fire, the fire service, most certainly that department, even the local board I've been on for 15 plus years. Any organization that had anything to do with it. And then again, your ego gets busted pretty quick and you start talking to other people. They had to come to the people. This isn't their problem. This isn't their decision. This was their, their choice to go do this type of thing. This isn't Adam. Adam's not owed anything. There, I question maybe a little bit of that brotherhood, traditional fire service that we've got. I felt like it was a pretty quick, you're on your ass 30 days later. I don't even care what the outcome is. Call me when it's done type thing. He sort of felt like man, a machine to be. That stuff weighed on me a little bit. It brought a little anger and a little resentment. I worked through that pretty quick with the recovery program. I unwound that pretty quick. There's days that bothers me. There's still days. And part of it is I do a lot with different firefighters from across this country. It's one good thing that came out of the pandemic was recovery meetings and the ISF kudos to them. We still do them. We're still almost these twice a week. A lot of us, there's people that are, whatever the recovery program is from substance abuse. Some of those guys have been talking to now since March of 2020. You text, you talk and all over the country. I've used those connections from Boston to Hawaii. And it's amazing. This network of guys now that we met doing this type thing in recovery that one guy from Vancouver visited a guy in Hawaii for two weeks when he retired because we all got to know each other. But I've also listened to how other departments deal with it and how many chances in the lengths that other departments go to, some of them big, some of them small, to try to make sure their guys are taken care of that have these substance abuse or any of these issues. And I say substance, but it, all, it also plays into mental health as well. There's a lot of mental health back. Substance abuse is just one of those things you get busted for outside of work. But how they handle any of those problems and how many tries and chances and working with these guys. And I think sometimes, I think maybe they just work at the wrong place. I will say on the flip side, I would, Adam finally decided to go get sober and understand this problem he's been battling for years but never addressed it if he didn't lose something very important. Losing a relationship wasn't good enough for me. Getting arrested for some bullshit years prior to that, out drinking one night wasn't enough, almost wrecking, dying a couple of times. That was enough. Maybe losing something that, like I told you before, I always put the fire department first, whether it's relationships, my own health, mental, all that stuff. Maybe losing that it is what needed to happen. I don't know, because I didn't do it any other way. So what I do know is where I'm at today. I think for me, and, and stack this, what I talked about, it's not necessarily for me, like this trauma from calls specifically on the job, is it just, did the early onset of the fire department just help create who I was? Uh, I'm sure if you live with a professional athlete growing up, you, that, that kind of may be where you go. You may end up like a, yeah, I'm a sports now. That's my pedigree. Maybe that's what I'm trying to say. For me, it was my biggest influence started at before 14, was at sitting in firehouses. 
I don't know. I don't think that's maybe some smart person one day can unwind that. It doesn't really matter. I don't like excuses. And what I mean by that is not all, none of us like excuses on the new guy and has got the I knows at the firehouse or why they didn't get something done. We all hate that. We should. I mean, it's annoying, right? The new guy. I know. Or I, I couldn't because, okay, honestly, it's an excuse I don't want to hear. I'm pretty hard on myself. I'm not standing in forgiveness for myself. I don't think I should ever be forgiven for any of the stuff I did. And this is where we start to get into, my Lord, what are you carrying? A lot of that guilt, that was what a lot of therapy was working on was forgiveness. And other people are willing to forgive you for stuff you've done. Like, why can't you forgive yourself? Now, I grew up Catholic. I'm not practicing Catholic. I got out of years ago. But in fact, my therapist in the says, you're Catholic, weren't you? Yeah, she's, oh my God, Catholic guilt. I can see them all the way. I thought, that's probably, I'm like, she is pretty dialed in. But to me, forgiveness is an excuse. I can get away with something because of forgiveness. Like I can do a bunch of things. And if that person forgives me, you know, I can forgive myself or I can go to a box and tell someone. I never liked that. I never, I rather just stew and it sits heavy on me. And I got to sit and churn in it and that guilt because that's what you, that's what you deserve. I go through that even today when things aren't going right, whether it's I'm looking at finances. Here I am, a high school graduate with no degree, making six digits in the farm department. It's a freaking dream, right? Now, it's not my life today. I have no money to do. I just do whatever I want. When things aren't going there, right, I listen, I see fire trucks go by, or I talk to uh, its old buddies there since you know, I relocated, sold my house and relocated. And I miss the fire, the, I miss the fact that knowing I'll never ride on a fire truck or fire again, most likely, unless it's just. Happen to drive up upon one and decide to go be a hero. My point to that is I used to get paid a lot of money sometimes to, to not a lot of work at times. There's a lot of it I look back and go when I'm having just one of these days. And the first thought that comes to my mind is, well, and I go, this is what you deserve. This is your punishment per se. And I, I have to get myself out of that way of thinking and do it quick because that'll just send you down a path of, again, destruction, want to drain, fuck it. Just, Let's numb it all up. And my life sucks. Let's just let it circle the drain and have a good excuse. Everybody would feel bad for me. That's an easy way to live life. It's not fun, but it's really easy to go down that road. What I always tell people is we're, I do believe we're not in control. I'm not the one writing this book, man. I'm not the one directing this play. I'm an actor in it. And the day I realized that things got a lot easier for me. As a type A personality, like so many of us are in a fire service, we're in control, we're in charge, we make things happen. I'm a fixer. I was always a fixer. Whether it's your personal life, I could fix that. Whether there's something physical, I could fix that. Give me the biggest pile of poop at work and I'm good with it. Put it all on my shoulders. doesn't bother me. I thrive in that. And then I had realized that I'm not in charge of kind of anything. There was a bit of a relief of, okay, now let's keep busting this ego. Let's start to work on recovery and understanding that like some things are going to roll the way they're going to roll, brother, and that's not for you to decide. So I have to unwind myself from some of that shame and guilt of like things are like this and it's a bad day because you need to serve it and blah, 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 blah. What I will say is my mom died unexpectedly and it's been over a year since I got to see her and I got up to the hospital and I got two hours with her and then I left in week and that was in March of 2021. In fact, it was a week before my one-year sobriety date. I hadn't seen my mom in any of that time frame. Me and my mom were close. We talk all the time. My mom was one of the coolest, most relevant people in her 70s. She had 20-year-olds at work that would text her and take her to comedy closely. Her and my niece is 23, no, 23, 23 at the time. I mean, my mom could make her blush. My humor comes from my mom. 
was on the coast people, it would make a table of firemen blush. And she did. She came down to work at 13. They came in town. They didn't diss it off. Of course, they knew Sean, who I worked with. And then he just come in. My mom just liked it. Rip, man. And didn't even need to curse. And never tried. Just got the guys. So like, oh my God, dude. And says, I know you get it from us. And my mom's coolest person. My mom picked son unexpectedly. And had to drive up there. My family and it. And that's a rough one for me. That was difficult. I'm going to talk about guilt. And it's not anywhere near as much time leading up to that as I wish I could have. And it's not like she was sick. And I think that she's supposed to be getting out the day she died or they were with like oh, probably Tuesday to get out of here. My mom knew. And when I talked to her, I think I knew that there was more to this and met the eye, but we didn't need to talk about it. I did get to apologize a little bit for the years uh, past. And she asked, why is this time not drinking different? I said, mom, this is us. I in a program I'm with other people in the recovery. I said, next week's a year and I get to share that with her and, and I'm glad. My mom got to see each silver, not just white knuckled, not drinking, but in sobriety. This is a big deal for me because that's a woman that when I was a kid had to step over me going to the bathroom when I was laid out in the hallway covered in blood from busting windows out drunk one night at like driving my car on my poor mom's baby the family. She had to see that. So I'm glad that we at least got that time. And then shortly thereafter, a buddy of mine back home, my parents, good friend of mine, AB, he's a friend of a lot of ours said work all together and down from Buffalo. He was there spending time with me when I was in town. And we come home. See, no other stuff. He lost his dad prior. He's close to his dad. And unfortunately, he was a couple months later in June. That senior was a couple months after my mom. I just spent time with him in March. And he was a godsend. And here it was June. Get the text from Buddy Andy and say, he just killed a motorcycle rack up in you. And I thought, holy shit. I spent a lot of time with that guy. And, and there he was helping me through my mom's thing. It's crazy though, as doing all that sober wasn't the spiral. I had a lot of good excuses to make up, make, and there was other people that passed away within that time frame too. Those very close, obviously. I always say we're not in control, but we do have a choice. We always have the option. We can go left or we can go, and I don't mean that a political stance. I mean that in general, like I can make a left turn and I choose to just say, fuck it. I'm going to ride this shitty ride till I circle the drain and I'm done. I don't care. That's my choice. I have an excuse. People feel bad for me. Well, is me, I have this trauma, I have this or this disease, or I drink. It happens all the time. And maybe we can't show, we, can't, we didn't get to choose the cars that dealt us, but we still have a choice of what am I going to do? I'm the point in my life where I started to say, not heroically, but I, I can either keep going one direction where I know that's going, I'm not dead, I'm not dead. Or let's make the right turn and see what we can do with this. Life isn't perfect. I don't have skittles falling ahead from unicorns pooping them out while they jump rainbows. Just no, because. but if you find that, can you let me know where that is? How amazing would that be? I just lay in the grass and let the unicorn just poop just, skittles. Just like, shit skittles all over you. Isn't that life? But just because you went to therapy or you worked through something or you got sober or you treated some PTSD, that doesn't mean life is perfect and goes easy every day. It's not even close. And sometimes that's a hard thing, whether it's me or anybody to deal with is, wait a minute, I've just done all this work for six months, a year, two years. I've talked to guys that still goes on after 20 years. It's funny, but I've been doing all this work, man, and fuck, they sucked. I'm still in a bad mood here. This happened. Well, that's life. You still have a choice. Am I going to slip back into maybe some old ways? Am I just going to finally say, screw it, this isn't worth it? I don't know. I do have some advice on that we talk about as it relates in, in sobriety. I talked to a friend of mine that, and I know he doesn't mind me saying his name, Sean, because I want to hear a podcast. 
we've known each other for a long time and we've gone through a lot of parallels together, wired the same in the brain, which is scary to either one of us to put two of us together. Hold on, fuckers. But my point is we're like therapy for each other. We spend a lot of time on the phone and I love that guy and he's gone through a lot and continues to work on it. Nothing's perfect for him either. He continues to work on it and his stories with other stuff that I'm sure he's told his story. But my point is when I used to hit just play the tape all the way through. If you think that what's going on today, you're like, all right, you know what? And I'm going to go back to that drug or I'm going to go back to drinking or you know what? I'm just going to sit and churn and complain about all this and not do a thing to help it. Screw it. It's not worth it. Let the depression settle back in. Those dark thoughts come in. I'm just, I'm done trying. I'm done working on it. Play the tape through. Where is it? Where does it get you? Where's my first drink getting me? I know where it gets me. It's not the commercial on TV of a couple good looking people. And I have the same six pack abs, the guy in that, the seltzer commercials. I don't know what seltzers are about. No offense to anybody. I just don't understand <laughs> seltzers. I never was a fan. You know, I, I digress. My night doesn't end with one of those on the beach with the lime in the top and we're holding hands in white sands. Mine is six hours later. I, that fucking, that umbrella has been probably thrown like a lawn jar. I probably tried burning the chair and I probably ended up throwing up somewhere and I've hit on three different people. I've spent $600. That's where my one drink on the beach gets me. If I think I'm just going to go back to screw this, I'm going to go back to just not working on myself anymore. Well, it's therapy for anger, anxiety, depression, whatever it is. Play the tape. Where does it get you? I could probably see it's not better than maybe where you are working on it. Play the tape through. Maybe you show that working on it, things will get even better for you. That plays through for a lot of stuff in life, but that takes a lot of brain frequency, doesn't it? It sure is easy to just, we've worked with those people, the negative Nancy, as you call them, sorry, Nancy, negative Nellies or whatever you want to say, it's easy to fall on it. They start bitching at work and before you know it, you're bitching about it and you've had a shit day. Like it takes a lot of energy to come and just say, we're being positive today. I've tried it and I used to do it in my life. Now I have to, we all can, we can make the choice today to say, I don't care what happens today. I will will it. It's going to be a good day. I'm going to end it happy. I'm, I find a way to be positive. For me, I'll find one thing of gratitude. I find myself now, if I go through and I catch two green lights, and I never catch that fucker left turn signal green light. I never catch it. I'll catch them. And that's my higher power. That's a moment. That's a gratitude moment for me. I'll hold on to it. Didn't it? For me, my days end with, if I didn't drink, that's my number one gratitude. And then any moments in between, I have to focus on those things. And I think we all do, especially right now. We're surrounded by a 24-hour cycle of crap, absolute crap thrown at us nonstop, whether it's your job, whether it's politics, the news, people's opinions, the pandemics, whatever you want to call it, all that mixed together is in our face 24-7. It's not healthy. I can go into a diatribe about that someday because I just was talking to somebody about kids and where they're at, but that's not good. And it takes a lot. So... It's really easy to fall in the other direction and it takes a lot more effort, but I got to tell you, it sure is better. It's not perfect. It's never going to be perfect. We can find ourselves working through different therapies. And if it's meds, if it's counselors, if it's your sobriety or whatever it may be, it is better. Handling the death of a close friend and my mom pretty back to back, I can, I don't know. I have a pretty good feeling how that would have been. If I didn't have my brain screwed on as good as it was going to be screwed on both the depression, the drinking and did all that silver. One of the things I've, I've come to learn is acceptance is more than just accepting it. 
not saying what acceptance is important. It's why it's part of the grieving process. But it's not always about grieving. Anything we do, there needs to be a level of acceptance. It may be I have to shovel 300 pounds of spoiled, rotten cow poop. I've accepted the fact this sucks. Like, I'm accepting this. But you know what? I've accepted it. I'm doing it. And then we'll move on. Break down to the death of somebody or I have a problem. I've got a mental health issue. I am just reared in depression. I am beaten down with PTS. I am I'm just being mean. I don't know why. What's what? He has to accept it. I'm an alcoholic. And the minute I accepted that, and I accepted that there's a power greater than me that's running the show. And that changes for me. Some people are out of the gate. It's their God for me. It was the people around me in sobriety. That was my... There's something bigger than me. I don't care what it is. If it's a treat, find something greater than you and believe that there's something else out there. And it doesn't have to be religious. All your belief. And that can relieve a little bit of stress where you're like, okay, I've accepted the fact that, man, I'm not calling the shots. I'm really not. I like to think I was. And I thought I was in control over everything. And that's why I didn't do certain things and why I did certain things. I was in control. I know the outcome. I'm not going to do something. Tell me control and know the outcome. Right? I'm not saying, yeah, I'm going to drive on a flat cutter. I know it's going to ruin things. Like, it's not those things. It's on a bigger grand scale that I'm not going to do that and fail. I already know the outcome is I'll probably fail and I'll look like a douche. I'm not doing it. But my point is, like, acceptance is very important. If you're going to try to work through something, you have to accept where you're at before you're truly going to put the effort. And I heard when you got other podcasters and I knew you sitting out with us and partially with them back in, in the day. He said it pretty eloquently as well about the same thing. Went to these therapists and wide and everything else. And I did that. It wasn't until I accepted the fact that something is very wrong. And I do want to make the right turn and right this ship. And I need somebody else to help me get through that. And I think it's something important for people to dial in on. If you've just got that feeling of this doesn't look right. It doesn't always have to fit in parameters. Just what's up on a PowerPoint when people come and talk about mental health and are you this? Do you experience this? I used to check all the boxes. You don't even need to check all of them. If you hit one, that's something worth looking at. I think some other things that, that I try to pass on to folks is, and I've heard him, and I've, a lot of people, I've done it. I remember I went to a, an alcohol meeting one time. It was a couple of years back. And I felt sorry for those poor bastards. These poor alcoholics. Like, my God, your life sucks. Your life sucks because mine was plugging right along. Adam's perfect. And here I was just like them within a year and a half later, crashing into a tree, drunk as a skunk. Don't even know I get it. My life was just like theirs. I'm not as unique as I need to be. Suffering. But I compared myself out. And I, I try to really heed that morning. It's old timers to say, don't compare yourself out. That's just an excuse. And I already told you before, I hate excuses. I'm not as bad. Listen, everybody's feelings have a level of, there's solidity to them. You can't just discount them. I learned that through counseling. Because just because your problem wasn't as big as mine doesn't mean it's not a problem. Stack, we said it all the time at work. Somebody's pain now is their worst day. That's their nine months. It's all about perspective. It's the same thing with your mental health, with your addictions. You're right. I may not be, and I don't, I hate kind of using some of those examples. I may not be the person trying to do harm to lots of people because my brain is that bad off. I may not be the guy who transport to the hospital on a medicate that pissed his pants on the sidewalk and lived under a bridge pushing a cart. That is what I thought an alcoholic was. I got a pretty good ego. You can call it a high bottom. You can call it whatever you want. Don't compare yourself out because it doesn't look as bad as the next person. 
if it's not working and it's, it's not working in your life, then it's bad. It doesn't have to fit somebody else's box to mean something. So just because you may have only suffered trauma one time on the job and only been there six months, or just because you're still making six digits a year with the family at home and this and that and doing what you want, but if you're an alcoholic, you, you have a problem drinking, just be, because it doesn't match what we think it's supposed to look like. Adam saw all these calls and can tell stories for hours on the worst things he has seen and experienced. Well, I only saw two things in my life. I don't care. If that's what triggered, if that's what's got you going, you don't need to compare it to me. Do something about it. Don't compare yourself out because you don't think you're as sick as a diff another person or what they tell you on the PowerPoint or whatever it may be. Don't compare yourself. If there's something going on, get that feeling or whatever it may be, or somebody even brings it up and says it to you. First step's going to be a level of acceptance. And then as you start going through it, don't compare yourself out. See, it's just not as bad as the next guy. And it's really easy to say, hell, I've done it. We've all done it. But man, you mean this flags that are waving. And uh, just because it doesn't look like the other guy, the person, you may be a little hesitant to go do something because, well, gosh, I haven't been here that long. It's not that bad. I've only seen a couple of things. I've only... <laughs> That's fine. I guess that I can tell you what's going to end up. These things compound. Every disease is progressive, whether it's mental, addiction, diabetes, congestive heart failure. They're all disease. That's why PTS started taking that D off calling disabilities. Post-traumatic stress. It's not an or disorder. Huh? It's a disease. Good news is, is there's stuff you can do for the anxiety, the depression, substance abuse. There's a way out starts with some acceptance. It starts with a level of being able to look at it and not compare yourself out. It starts with, there's a lot of things. And then it's making that choice, man, out. these are the cards I was dealt. One of the great podcasts we listen to, like horrible cancer diagnosis, young as a kid, right? Am I fighting this thing and going all in? Am I going to come out the other side or am I? And that was something that that person battled with. And thank God, he's a good guy and he came out the other side. The point to that is like many other diseases, are you going to make the choice to do something with it? No, I'm not seeing the outcome. It's ever going to be perfect. You may fight for 10 years and still die of a disease. You may do all these things and people still die. Things are still going to happen. You're still going to trip up or have a bad day and have these moments, but you have a choice. What do you want to do with it? That's like taking any sort of recovery. And I kind of lump recovering a lot of things, not just drinking or drugs, but it's the mental stuff and on all sides of it. Some of this stuff in my opinion is we wake up with it. And some of these are like the only disease out there that honestly, I don't know if there's ever a perfect cure for, because I know alcohol's out there doing pushups in the parking lot waiting for them. It's coming back stronger. People, and I've heard a couple of people allude to it. Like, I don't know why I just overcome with the darkness. My day just went to shit. What's different now is I do something I recognize it. So I need to take a step back, walk away or do something about it now, which is awesome. Before we just said, I don't know, I'm just going to be a miserable person all day and just fall out my whole next week. My point is a lot of that stuff's always there. There's not a pill, there's not a transplant, there's nothing that do that. It gets cured. We wake up every day with one of these diseases and stuff inside of us. And we have to work on our treatment every single day because it's there. It's always there. What's the next call that you're using another round of PTS or depression? What's the next flight at home, right? That gets you into it. Just God, this sucks. What's the next? Event, whether it's good, I'm having a great day and I'm, I got a little complacency kills. I got a little complacency in my recovery. It's a great, and to celebrate, I can have just one. What's the next thing? 
we wake up with this stuff all the time. It's even right in the name of your podcast. Things we carry, it's there. We have to treat it every day. Somebody does just get better and maybe have been able to move on from things. But I know for so many of us that have worked on it, have been on prior, middle, astro, daring, whatever you want to call any of these things, it is always a little bit of back your mind of what's the next thing? What's the next thing that kind of shoot a drop, if you will? I think that's the nature of the beast with it when you've gone through it and that line of work. What's the next? What happens next? Our brains are wired. Don't let it work against you. Be prepared. Be ready for it. Do that pre planned. We talk about that. Always ready to get the flyers. So it's like we're ready for so much. We train, we do this, we do that, blah, 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 blah. We got to do that in our personal lives. One of the things I realize is setting, it's like a savings account, setting ourselves up for when things don't go well. And let me try to explain that, not with destructive behaviors. If we can find ways to, and this happened to me, some of it's by circumstance. Financial stability can be a big, and it's hard. Oh my God, especially this day and age, dude, put gas in your truck. But some of these things that can help us when a big event happens in life to maybe just take the edge off from us making that left turn, whether it's really paying attention and focusing on some financial stability. That can go a long way when a big life event happens. Keeping up on, on the daily, keeping that brain fresh just because things got better. And I haven't had that episode in a while. I just don't need therapy. I don't know, man. You get a massage. Maybe you need to get your brain massage once a month, whatever it may be. Don't get complacent. Things like that. I put all my eggs in one basket. I've been able to rebound pretty quick, but my life is fire service. And I'm all about that. And I always thought that's the way it should be. But I think all your eggs in one basket can have a level of stress. Because if, if the bottom of that basket falls out, whether it's from whatever it may be, whether your time's up, whether it's an injury, whether it's you had to move because you're significant others, family, and you have to elbow. Whatever the circumstances are, if that's your only only basket that's carrying your life's eggs, that can be a big stressor if that basket's gone. Maybe diversifying a little bit, trying to keep some finances. Maybe not overextending all the time so that if something bad happens, it's one less thing. You got a little, you got a little time there to where you're, whether it's a sickness or an elder, you're taking time off to go to a center for something and maybe you're out of later, it's leaving out pay, whatever it may be. Whether it was an injury, you're out of work now. These are all big life events that. If we can maybe do some work ahead of time to prepare ourselves. If again, if I hadn't keeping yourself straight, right? Whether it's sobriety, whether it's mental health from whatever began with things, keeping your brain ahead of that stuff and working on it. And I'll tell you what, because when a big life events happen, some of all experienced it. I said it earlier. My mom died, I had a very close friend suddenly being killed and some other stuff. And, if I didn't have kind of that savings account built up, both literally and figuratively, that makes a really bad situation that much worse. And I don't think that anybody that has gone for us in the past, whether it's loved ones, friends, whatever, maybe that's that instant. Even the nasty divorce, like maybe the other spouses hate you that much, but it doesn't do any good to just self-destruct. It doesn't honor the people you want to honor. They may be there looking, going, holy shit, man, I, I died. Boy, their life went to hell, like, holy crap. And I won't give another person that I, mean, I have a little grudge against or don't like or whatever it may be that's part of my big life event. I'll be damned if I'm giving you the satisfaction of me circling the drains. I don't care what the motivation is. Just if we have that build up to where we're trying to keep our brain, we're working on it with whatever it takes, we're working on 
whether it's a substance, whatever it may be, we're really on down to finances. The more things are, it, it's like anything. If you have a thousand dollars in your savings now, Dave Ramsey's big on this. If the water heater breaks, you're ready for it. So then it's Murphy's Law. Like some things just don't happen because I'm really prepared for it. I have a generator. My Even the tornado ripped through the other day, my power still refuses to go out. Because I have a generator sitting in my garage and I trip over every day. Yeah, and I'm ready for it. It's the same thing. If the more we can have ourselves ready, especially in that line of work, public safety, but just in life in general, when something big does happen, Maybe when it happens, we're just that much more ready for it. And I think it can do a lot of good and it makes going through it. I'll never say easier, but you can get to acceptance a lot quicker. I don't know for whatever that's worth, but I don't know where I'm at with all that. Sometimes I'm going to jive, diatribe, stab just to get long winded, but that's just how Adam's brain is wired. <laughs> so today, what are you up to today? Today, I am living in Cincinnati. Got an amazing person in my life. Jen is awesome. She's got two kids. I never had kids. I never thought I'd have to be around kids. You're 10 to 12. I have a blast with them. I run a small general contracting company, and some days are better than others. Sometimes you make friends. Sometimes you make money. My schedule is what I want it to be, so that's nice. I still stress about things. I still sometimes wake up with anxiety about things. I'm just actually having healthcare and stuff, so I've actually just was asking. I would like to find somebody to do some some therapy work just to keep the brain going. I don't have, I have bad days like anybody does and stuff. I've got a sponsor that I call. I'm very still involved in the recovery program, whether it's just the meetings, work that I have to do with it. It's actually a really good playbook for life. It helps me get through a lot of stuff because I have this, something that I believe in. And that's what I do. We're blessed you to travel. We're ready to head out of town here soon. I'm blessed. There's an identity that I'm still working on because a lot of it's new. I don't have people here like I did when I lived in Virginia. I don't have a much fire. There's a there's still some ego left in me and some bravado that I miss being able to tell people I'm a fireman. I'm not I'm still trying to find something that I think is just as important as that I do in life. I forget that there's times where I can help Jen with the kids. And there you have a blast doing it. It, it takes stress off her, whatever it may be, that's just as important. I have to remind myself of that because it's different. So uh, there's still those things that I'm lifting got to deal with here where if it's, I'm learning to live sober, which is a big deal. I'm learning to live stress-free in the sense of I don't worry about fire department all day long. And I miss it. I'm missing people. I miss being part of that chaos. And there's parts of me that I don't know that I don't miss. But yeah, sometimes the ego gets in the way where I'm like, I'm sorry. I, mean, I say I've accepted it and I talk about acceptance a lot. I don't know if I'm 100% there yet. To be honest, everybody, that's the new me. But every day, it's a work in progress. It's progress, not perfection for me. I've learned to forgive, whether it's, and that's a, a work in progress. Sometimes I still don't like it because I think it is an excuse, but it's a reality. It's true. It's real. There's a disease in there. There's things that have happened that people are willing to forgive me for. I have to be able to forgive myself. That's also a busted ego, too. You don't think you're so important. You can't forgive yourself. There's some things that, that's okay to forgive yourself. It's the only way to move on. This is the way to accept it. And it's not me having an outburst or an easy excuse for something. It's me accepting it and truly doing something about it. And it's not an excuse, in my opinion, if you're doing something about it now. So, yeah, that's where I'm at. And I still love, man, I'm, I'm plugging along here. stays that I know I'm a better person for all the things that have happened in life and where I'm at today. I deal with things a whole lot differently. I'm glad that. People don't have to see me drinking. I do know that it's 24 hours at a time and that I do want to get back in and work on therapy stuff because it's just, 
even when things are good. And sometimes, man, sometimes that's when you get the most nervous. These are way too good, right? That's where I'm at today, man. I try to hang out and do just easy go and easy does it. I don't snap as much. I still have those moments of human. Again, we don't have the, we don't have the unicorns or the skittles yet, but I got to tell you, like, I could take a breath. I could take a moment. I can take some time. I can, I won't argue, just argue. Just let it be. We'll walk through it a little bit later. Let her reach out for a second. My brain functions much differently without all the stuff in it. And until you're away from it, you don't realize it. Miss the guys. I'm sitting you know, you have to work together. Let's miss that stuff. I miss when things were good. I don't miss the bad. And this is things were good. Yeah, it's where I'm at today. It's just, it's boring. And for people with mental health and substance abuse issues and all of the above, boring is pretty good. I was just about to say that boring's not a bad option at times. Boring is probably good when you got a lot of chaos. I know for me, I got a lifetime of it. Still looking to write that book. Everyone wants me to write a book, it writes itself. But yeah. <laughs> so that's part. Yeah. So, real, really quick, because. It might as well talk about it now because it's something I add on to every show that Everyday Carry. Saying the title of the show being the things we all carry, the things we carry into a call, the things we carry out of a call. Do you have anything like that in your life? I forever, maybe so guilt on certain things. I have a hard time, but no, truthfully, when I got into the academy, my mom bought me a St. Florian chain with a small St. Florian medallion thing out small. And that was recruit school or graduation years. I can only think of two times in my entire life that it's worth where 20 years now that it was ever off. Once I took off in a hotel and I left it in a hotel, out of state, and I freaked the fuck. Dude, I didn't want to go to work. I never worked without it. And I was at work and thank God, housekeeping actually found it, like laundry found it. It was a crazy thing. I can't, that was my mom, all that. Like that was somebody bigger than me. So I'm like, thank God. And the person I knew in that area was close. Like they went and found it and they took a picture and sent it to me. Dude. Housekeeping, she found it in laundry. I'm like, oh my God. And then one other time I left it at home. I shaved and I took it off. I sunburn. I was putting much stuff on. I left it at home. I got to the station. I was freaking out. And I mentioned that Sean, thank God, Lovell, let's throw this ass on this, out to my freaking house. Got it. He drove all the way out to come to the stations. Because he's like, I get it. I still wear it to this day. I've had that. From the very from the day I graduated from school, and like I said, minus those two times, I never worked with that. It's always been up. It's still to this day stays on. Now it means even bored me with mom passing. Yeah, that's awesome. That's an that is an, that's always been a, and will be physically an everyday carry. And what about books? Are you reading these days? I hate reading. Okay, I like the thought of it. I uh, it's like anything, man. I like to buy. I like buying. I like to go all in on things. Every once in a while, I will read something that could truly captivate me. And have an impact. And it's only happened a couple of times. Um, politically speaking, you should read The Great Reset by Glenn Beck, but that's what probably bore most people. But no, I honestly, a great book that still sticks in my brain that has a, a very positive impact and shit on anybody. But I've never heard of Travis Mills. He's got a foundation now. He's yeah. only one of five quadruple amputees, all this other stuff. But this book, Tough as They Come, I've read that thing in a few days, which is unheard of because I usually. I just don't read, man. I get bored, false, whatever it is. Like when I read Lone Survivor, that was one of the few that I was able to read. Like, boom! But this book was amazing. I mean, it was just good timing. Because again, there's a guy that was dealt a hand that he didn't choose and he wasn't in charge of. But then he sure made a choice to go in a different direction and has done nothing but amazing things since. And, you know, and, stuff. and I also always recommend, he did a podcast with Mike Rowe. 
And that's how I've heard about him. And it's hysterical because they're really good friends. And one of them, oh my God, he, I use humor for a lot of things. It's okay even to go back and look at some things and laugh and even laugh while it's happening. It's okay. It really is okay. Travis is amazing at it. And like how he met Mike Rowe was one of the freaking funniest stories ever. I, it's worth the podcast. And that's why I started listening to it all again. And I read his book in two days. It's fascinating to me. But it is just that story of, yeah, I didn't, I, this was when I had planned. And that's a hard thing in life. When you think you got plans and how it's going to look in the end, it doesn't go that way. It's depressing. You shit the bed again. I did that my whole life. Nothing ever worked out the way Adam thought it was going to work out. Because Adam's not in charge, but we got to learn the hard way. But th- there you go. There's a guy that, like has every reason to just dull and the complete opposite. And that's inspiring. It's inspiring for me. Again, I can compare out and be like, why did you get two arms and two legs blown off? I can compare out from that and be like, see, my stuff's not as bad. I guess I shouldn't worry about my stuff. No, my stuff's bad for me. His stuff was bad for him. The guy next to me stuff is bad for them. So it's inspiring to me. It really is. It's very inspiring. So yeah, that as tough as they come, guys know this one of those where if you can't get motivated or inspired by that, then you have no soul. <laughs> I'll check that out. Yeah. All right, man. I know you got to do some work there. Kick it apart. It was a long conversation. I can be one of those. I can go on forever. And if it fits what you want for podcasts, not my, my feelings aren't hurt. If you're like, hey, man, I don't know. Just oh, go with. This is perfect. Forever. This is perfect. Yeah. By all means, if you're like, I, you're not going to hurt my feelings. Oh, I'm not worried about hurting your feelings, but this is going to be a show. Don't worry. We'll get it figured out. Yeah. And however, whatever it is and kind of unpack it, unwind it. I, I'm always going to go into more details about some stuff. I'm just kind of hesitant. Like, I don't know, too much on too many names and people and stuff in departments. Cause I tell you, I start dwelling on her. So right. The resentment type thing. I'm just not down that road. No, there's no reason for it either. And no. to be honest with you, I'm actually trying to keep Prince Williams, their name out of this because I'm so disenchanted with Prince William now. It's ridiculous. And that's the thing in this. Yeah. I don't, it doesn't need to be, you know, to find everything and everybody. And I don't need them to, like I said. So yeah, I just stick it to people figure out. I'm like, cause you know, used to work with you. Hey man, we used to work together, but nonetheless, but yeah, like I was telling you, my thing is I just, God, there's just, even if it's advice and just some insight on the things and offer to people like she drives open for this type thing is just my charge and i'm always willing to go more in depth there's always specific call if you want some of the worst shit or this and that or things that stick with your whatever you want to get into it's funny i talked to somebody oh i interviewed a guy last night he's from just outside of chicago and uh, he was like he goes i hope you don't mind but i usually just fast forward out of the story time and get into what they're doing now. I just want to hear what they're doing to get better. And I was like, that's perfect. Cause I'm not trying to glorify the calls. Yeah. I'm just setting the table so people know, okay, so this is some shit that's happened. And then, well, yeah. And I can most certainly, and if that's the charting direction and I, honestly, that's my take on it too, a little bit. So I get what he's saying. It's not in a mean way, but I understand. And I think that's the thing I want to avoid too is yeah. Who wants to sit and listen to me talk about calls? Kill that kid, kill that person, burn that person. Like, I could go on for hours. A ton of shit. And, uh, and some episodes are going to be like that. And I don't think yeah. all episodes need to be like that, to be honest. Right. Because you know, and, and when it's relevant, when, because people can connect the dot and go, holy shit, seeing that guy hanging from a noose took me back to when I saw my dad hanging himself. And that's fucked me up. That's 100%. Yeah, I get that. And then every time I saw a guy with a blue shirt and brown hair, took me back. I get all that. For me, that's just not. Like my thing, there's certain things that stick with you, but so mine is just more of cultural and where I keep to and the fire department. I, I don't know. And my brain wired in one direction. And no. Oopsie daisies, you're raising alcoholics for like 25 years. Oops. And we haven't speeded. <laughs> you want to talk about a book of stories there? Holy <laughs> shit. 
I tell you, man, it's bad. I don't know how I'm alive. I said, me and Bliss are just talking about this. I don't know how I'm alive. It's not, I have no idea. How. I said, I, somebody didn't kill me or I didn't kill myself. I don't get it. I don't know how. You did. Uh, my own relationship with alcohol, I don't know how I'm alive in, in some cases. And it wasn't, I've, yeah, I've driven drunk and all that, but it, I started drinking in fifth grade. Yeah. And how the oh, fuck what? did I make it through middle school as a drinker? And I, as a drinker, I wasn't just like, I, the weekends, I got drunk. <laughs> No, all right, doesn't make sense, does it? No, it I, doesn't. I don't, the amount of times I'm a blackout drunk, like I'll out drink everybody and then I, but I can be blacked out the entire time. I just don't remember the night. Bottom, bottom line, I don't remember the night. And I drove like that since I was 16. No, no, stop. Over 20 something years. Oh, I know. Holy dog shit. Oh, yeah. And the amount I could drink and throw up and just keep drinking all my Oh, yeah. 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 It was a oh, yeah. So, like, badge yeah. of honor. It is, and I just did it forever, and holy crap, somebody wants to be around for something. I don't know what it is. Now I still have ever drink again. I might want to come down from the pub and just fucking murder. Strike you down. I don't even want to know what that would look like, and that would be letting her down, too. I just, this is fascinating how, like, how in kind of something, I don't think it snuck up on me, just wasn't, was a thing, but it wasn't a thing <laughs> until it's really a thing. Until it's an actual thing, right. Now what do we do, so... Yeah, it's been an interesting life, and there's so much more. I believe people on here all this dumb shit, but most certainly, I'll go into anything more or talk more about the depression and the, and the suicide tendencies. We can always just die. I know, really, my brain's pretty fucking sick, and my drinking wasn't helping it, and that was part of the sickness. And work wasn't helping it. It's part of the sickness. It's all part of the sickness. It all fed into each other. Yeah, and so much of me just wants to say, fuck Prince William, I just, I fuck their assholes. Well, what I want to say sometimes. But he, he wouldn't be wrong, but it's not the excuse for you. No. I'll yeah. tell you what, Fairfax reached out to me to try to help. Really? Like, what the fuck? Yeah, because something I was in recovery with this retired lieutenant she's out there and talking to me, goes, oh, talk to this woman. She'll... And I remember talking to her. She did all their shit for Fairfax mental health and this and that. I like another person in health and safety. And then she's just, they still use an excuse about EMS and driving. I said, can't ask you, huh, I'm going to give you a playbook, see if this works for you to get back there. Like, I can't believe it. She goes, we stopped doing that a while ago. Because that was a thing with the law was in place. And that that's what they're, that's what they're using as an excuse for why they don't want to let us use pot right now. So, so it's just, it's still alive and kicking. It is, but it's still like that with alcohol. It's still like that. If you fuck up out of work with it. Because it is a black and white legal thing. There's no gray area with New York. Yeah. It is an, it's an easy one that they will always dump the guys for. Yep. Especially now. Yep. I know. And it's a shame because, I don't know. Dude, I'm telling you, now you're talking to enough guys. Oh, my God. Dude, guys from Boston, you're a bunch of other places, and you're in between. I talked all the time. Like, almost too much, like, tolerance of, like, how long they worked on guys and try to get them better. I'm like, holy shit. And then, even after they got out for a while, took him right back. Yep, go get fixed, come right back. Like, I'm like, holy shit. And I would tell guys, I story, I was honest with them. I said, I got hung up one other time, but they're not. I said, the same month I was getting fucking fired. I said, I was supposed to be getting a fucking accommodation for a fucking fire. I was bossing. That's how my career went. I'm like, Jesus Christ. I said, yeah. I said, Gary, I have chief tell me, you got my personal number. Two, I never give that away. So, you called anything you need this and I'm like, how about I keep my fucking job? And, and they were just like, so you weren't shitbagging play. Like, no, not really. I said once, twice, it fuck up, but like nothing ever at work. And they're like, wow, that place is, I said, yeah, that's how that place is. The same week I got a, an accommodation for, I, it was a, a vehicle fire that the lady was entrapped and we had to, we put it out with, we didn't put it out. We held it at bay with a water can. Well, well, Mike and the guys were 
cutting her out that we got award for that. And it's the day before that I found out that I was getting my five day suspension for the objection was bullshit. I was like, I said, I was like, I was, I was in with the chief the day before talking to him about what he's, yeah, what he's going to do to me. And the next day I'm on stage with him and then the county supervisor who pushed the issue to get me suspended. And we're like, you fucking people. And if that doesn't fuck with anybody's brain, what the fuck does? So I just, I've got such disdain for the leadership right now. It's, it, I have to hold it in check. No, I don't blame you. And I talk to those guys enough to where they're just terrifying. And Dave, Andy, and all those guys. And I, and Holly and Josh, and three of them came down for baseball game to come visit. They got out of work at six in the morning, drove nine hours, left the next day. And that's good to know you have some good friends, but there's guys that are just kid firemen and they even, they're at a good assignment, but they're still just discontent. Like it's just, it doesn't end. I get so much good info from Carolina because of his position, but if you didn't laugh about it, you would put a fucking bowl in your head because it is, he goes, I can't make this shit up. I'm no. like, what the fuck Davies, dude, I'm telling you. And it's sad when you get a DUI facing jail time and lose the job over everything. When guys say, I'm, I actually think you're better off. And I'm like, I don't want part of better off, but like, they're just that discontent where they go, I'm a little jealous of you. I'm like, oh, that's don't be. Hey. That's sad that you're that just pissy with work right. that way to where it looked better to lose it over a DUI and now you don't have to deal with that place. That's fucked up. That right. shouldn't be, that shouldn't cross anybody's mind. And if it is crossing your mind, maybe it's time to start looking. Yep. Yeah. No, it's that place, man. I just, I wish I could have got my 20s at least get my hazard duty. Yeah, I understand that. But no one in the cards, man. I don't know. I didn't like how they handled any of it. Not that I should have been treated different. I just don't like how they handled it. I was trying to get out the academy to teach while they're begging for people. No, like I'm some sinner. Dude, not even a month later, gone. Did you even get a chance to go to court? Yeah, that's inexcusable right there. And I think that was probably my big hang up with it. I mean, hey, listen, I got convicted and he said, shit, you can't drive without an interlock for a year. You still have a driver's license. It's still valid. You just can't drive anything without an interlock. Okay. You know what? They've done it before. Go teach you the academy. We're begging for people. You've been out there before. The battalion chief out there says, yep, I'll take them. I want them. I'm sorry. I know there's a little evil involved, but like, I didn't do enough for this fucking place to at least get that consideration. I've done every committee. I've done anything you've asked. I've showed up to everything. I've, I, I continue to teach a teacher volunteer. I've helped fight for some shit that you're enjoying your fucking retirement there. Fat Jack, you all those other shit. Like, dude, and this is, I've tried to be part of change of everything. Never complain about something and then not be, try to be part of the change or something like that. That was the fucking... That was the response. Like that did run me wrong and still this day, a little pissy about it. I'm like, wow, like on your ass you go. Don't pass go. I don't know, man. But then you read. I mean, I took up your whole afternoon. No, you're fine, dude. You're fine. I'm sorry I was late getting into it, but no, I that's actually... fine. It led you doing it, man. I appreciate you thinking of me. It's uh, I think it's pretty cool. And if there's ever anything I think being help you with or whatever, man, I'm always and if there's ever people that you start thinking after somebody that I know that I talk to all the time, then I think, man, it'd be a good story. There's a couple of guys and they'd probably be willing to be from a distance, but nonetheless. Yeah. If you know anybody and they're willing, yeah, have them reach out or just give me a, a contact and I'll reach out to them. I'm, I'm always looking for people. Yeah. I'm good. Yep. I don't need all right, man. Man. I look forward to whatever, if we do this thing, just figuring out the logistics of that. And yeah, we'll get it figured out. You're a short nine hour drive away. So. I'm, yeah, I'm coming in Labor Day. We're coming to visit for a few days, but nice. it's all over Labor Day. Yeah, right, we'll figure something out. 
Yeah. I, yeah. I'm yeah, not worried we about can do, it. We can do a video or something that may work out. As long as I can see you stack. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right, buddy. All right, yeah, man. We're saying it again. Give him a big old kiss for me. All right, I'll do that. All right. All right, man. Take care. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Things We All Carry. Head over to the website, thethingsweallcarry.com, for show notes, resources, and to sign up for the newsletter. Until next week, take care of yourselves and remember to check in on each other.